Are you tired of dealing with unreliable, stodgy business banks that don't care about you or your small business clients? Then you'll love to learn more about Relay, a no-fee online banking and money management platform built for you and your small business clients. With Relay, you get to say farewell to broken bank feeds, password sharing, expired two-factor authentication codes, and vague, incomplete transaction data. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Relay, later in the episode. The thing that also surprised me about this is the fact that current partners now are working more than they used to. So partners are making more money than ever, but they have no work-life balance, it sounds like. A lot of them anyway. And why would you as a young person want to aspire to be a partner when you see them working 60-hour weeks? Like, what's the point of having all that money? Yeah, sure, you might be making half a million or more, but if you have no work-life balance, when are you going to spend it? Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Your voice, Blake, sounds okay. A little bit better. Yeah. You know, I took it easy, relatively easy, when we were in New Orleans together for ZeroCon this past week. How about you? Uh, well, you're doing a lot of talking anyways. But like everywhere you go, it's just so loud. And there's always music playing. And you wind up screaming. And you don't know you're screaming. And people are screaming back at you. And so I texted you, what, yesterday morning or Friday night? I was like, we can't record till Sunday. I just can't do it. My voice is trashed. <laughs> well, we got lots to talk about with ZeroCon. I'm glad you've recovered, David. Uh, your voice sounds good. So let's, let's review. How was the conference for you? It was a great conference. Best way I could summarize it is zeros all in for the US. I think the other big takeaway for me was there's a, a lot of mix of people from the QuickBooks world that were there. And, and I feel like we're at a new maturity level. I think for you know a decade, people would just take their, if you're a QuickBooks firm, you get a zero person, migrate it all over to zero. And when you're done, it's, you're in the same spot and zero people that would migrate people over to QuickBooks. And when you're done, you're kind of in the same spot because you have all your apps and your app stack. And in theory, the GL shouldn't even matter or the client shouldn't even know about the GL maybe. And I think there's a maturity there. And then I think it summarized that best with, uh, I ran into the country manager for Canada the last morning when I was waiting to get my Uber and get a coffee. I was at the Starbucks. And like I, I mentioned to her and I said, I mean, why limit yourself to just one and one amazing event and party when you could go to two <laughs> amazing event and party. And so that's yeah, how yeah. I felt about it. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's an amazing event and party. Like, it was, I, Always admire the production value from the Zero team. Just beautiful, beautiful event, really well produced. I always felt that way about Zero when I had my firm. And part of the reason I partnered with them is because I felt like they had this aesthetic that I aspired to as well. And I copied a lot of what they did in terms of how I presented my firm. I think there's a lot that accountants can learn from the the really good marketing that's done at software companies. Event Hall, great spaced out. The party they had, the rap party, just incredible. And I was mostly really surprised to see just how many zeros, how many zero employees were at the event. And that to me was evidence of zero's renewed commitment to the US, which is what they were leading with at this conference. 
on the first day of the conference, there was a group photo of all the zeros, and I was there early, and so I saw them do it, and it looked like hundreds, two hundred. I mean, it must have been hundreds. Uh, of my guess employees. was there was two hundred employees. There. Yeah, yeah. And they're hiring in Toronto, they're hiring in Denver, and that is a good sign. It's more than just talk. There was also a bunch of product news. There was the Avalara and Zero integration. That was the, I think, the first announcement on day one that Anna Curzon put out there that Avalara is now going to do the sales tax calculations inside of Zero for Zero customers at no additional cost for Zero users. That's great. No longer having to put in your own sales tax calcs, try to figure that out. They're going to do it for you. Really smart, if you ask me, because now Avalara can market their additional services, the filing to Zero users. Great partnership. So I spoke to Anna Curzon and the new VP of product here in the US, Hamish Cook, at ZeroCon. I want to play a few minutes of that interview for you because there's a bit at the end that's really interesting uh, what Anna says. So, so as they like to say on Instagram these days, watch to the end. Hey everybody, Blake Oliver here with the Cloud Accounting Podcast and we are at ZeroCon in New Orleans. Woo! Anna Curzon, so many Amazing new features coming. What's your favorite new thing that's happening? Oh right my now? gosh, so many. I think, you know, one of the most important things is our sales tax. 70% of small businesses need sales tax, and it blows my mind. Like, literally, 13,000 tax jurisdictions, all with different rules, changing all the time. We know we need a lot of friction. We love running at that. And we can't put that and we announce that. And we just can't wait to have you know, new sales tax functionality coming up. And we're also here with Hamish Cook. You're new to zero relatively. Uh, 10 months. Yeah. 10 months, all right. So new How's it going so far? It's been really awesome. And my role is to support Anna in front up, but focus specifically on the US, which is sort of what we're doing to invest in product and team leadership here in the US specifically. And that is music to my ear. Yeah. So what are you doing for us in the US? First and foremost, my role is to advocate for the user experience here in the US. I'm a, a user-focused product manager by trade. Anna is feeling that because I'm hammering back into the product organization. We're going to focus on the US user, their experience and their needs, and how do we deliver on that at a fast and frequent basis. So there's a lot of other things in the list, but that's really, really number one. One more question for you before I let you go. With everything that you have to do to manage this global product with 3 million plus users, how do you decide what to do? We are expanding into North America and we need to stay. We're doing a lot of rolling funding here and now things for day-to-day -day experience. But we're also building foundations. I said yesterday, Stephanie Holt said to me once on a call, we don't want any more unicorn features right now, Anna. We just want you to fix the basics, build the foundations, and that's exactly what we're doing. So that bit at the end, right? No more unicorn features. I think she repeated that on stage. She repeated it to us. They heard that. And that to me is important because a lot of times with software companies, they build new stuff and then they forget about it. And as accountants, we're stuck with a product that's not quite there yet. Yep. And it's really, really important if you want to win accountants that you keep investing in in the features that are already there to it's solve- the boring them. stuff. It's the boring work yeah. that nobody really wants to do because it's boring, but you have to do it if you want people to use your product. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And product people, engineers, they like to work on the new, exciting stuff. 
not you know fixing technical debt and all that, but but it sounds like Zero's heard that, and so uh, you know my hope is that even while they continue to build out this inventory with Locate, that as we've seen with the reporting, that continues to improve. All these painful little things that have been complaints for years and years that have not been addressed, those need to get addressed as well if you want to win U.S. accountants because it's these little things that make the difference. They pile up. And you want to get people to switch from something they're familiar with. You can't have this super annoying thing that they got to deal with every day or every week or every month. You got to solve those things. They also announced their new quarterly zero small business insights report that's going to go out. So they're using anonymized, aggregated zero data from the US and Canada to put out reports on the state of the economy and the state of small business like they've done in the past. They do that in New Zealand and Australia. And there it's super important because in New Zealand, they've got something like 70% market share. So you know, imagine if if most of the small businesses in the country were on one accounting system, what kind of interesting data you could get. So that report you can find if you want to find it. Well, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. The link to that will be in the show notes. The two insights that they're offering now based on zero data is the impact of inflation. And so they they broke out Canada and the US to see how much growth in invoicing in zero, right? The prices on those invoices, how much of that is due to inflation versus real actual growth. And actually they found that Canada's price adjusted sales contracted by 1.7% year over year in March of 2022. Uh, Whereas in the US it actually grew in real terms by 2.8%. So even though we're operating in a high inflation environment in the US, we've managed to still grow the sales by 2.2% when you take out the inflation. But in Canada, they've actually contracted a bit. Uh, And they also have data in there about payment times, how quickly small businesses are getting paid. In the US, payments took an average of 23.5 days in March 2022, compared to 25 days in 2021, and a pre-pandemic average of 27.1 days. So we're getting better, actually, about at payment speed, which is a good sign for small businesses. So they're going to keep adding more of these, and that'll be interesting to watch to see what kind of information about small businesses we get from this aggregated anonymized data. So, you know, maybe this will be something that gets cited in the news, like the way ADP payroll reports get cited. They also have the um, inventories coming. So they started talking about how they're going to start rolling out the inventory features they've, they've built with locate, using Locate that they acquired. So they acquired Locate uh, not too long ago. And they're, that's an- It's inv- got to be less inv- than 12 months. Yeah. And that's a really robust inventory solution. And so- I wasn't clear if they're actually just skinning locate in zero, but it it sounds like they're actually rebuilding. Well, so it's a little of yes and no there. I actually asked this um, at the at the airport when I left at the terminal next door or the gate next door with somebody from Locate, and we took the Uber to the airport and I okay. talked to him. And so, Locate just to rewind history is an old historic desktop inventory app company. They obviously eventually clouded to come. They rebuilt their inventory product all in cloud. But obviously, if you build things in cloud the right way, back in, you know, people, you would build your app or your product and would have APIs and then your UI would just be dumb, right? It's just going to make API calls to your data. And so this is how, this is what's going to allow them to basically have a zero skin 
but it's making API calls under the covers. Now they've obviously had to tweak and improve and change things, but mm-hmm. essentially the product's kind of built fundamentally already. So it's not going to be an iframe because I asked him specifically that. Are you just going to iframe it in and like skin it? And he's like, no, it's going to make our API calls. So it's not 100% built from scratch. The fundamental technology was already existing. They just have to obviously rewrite some API calls and a lot of different uh, ways they want to present it in the UI is much different. And this is going to be US first. So it's coming to the US first. I heard mention of the term e-commerce. It seems like Zero wants to be able to be a solution, an all-in-one solution for e-commerce. And if you don't have good inventory, you can't do that. So exciting things, exciting times if you're in e-commerce, especially. We also talked to uh, Liz Mason at uh, ZeroCon, and I want to play a little bit of your interview with her. We're at ZeroCon. Yeah. Liz Mason of Rock, And so you've been long-time Zero <laughs> user. Been at every ZeroCon in the U.S. So what do you feel about, like, I feel like the big observation I made of Zero this year is they are finally, like, really, the U.S. is the priority in the market. What's, like, does that excite you? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, like, one of the cool things about being an ambassador is I get to talk to the team about what they're doing in the U.S., um, and they're actually investing. Like, they're building big plans, they're hiring the right people, they're focusing on reorganizing teams to support this market, because this market's different than Australia, and they had to figure that out the hard way, right? Um, But now they've figured it out, and they're hiring the right leadership, they're building the teams in the right way, and putting the investment into our market, so yeah, it's great. And this is because you've been hammering the table, like, I mean, you know, like, there's a few of us pretty loud ambassadors that just kind of yell sometimes, I mean, like, I wouldn't say we yell, we just loudly express our opinions. To people that listen, but they're listening, and that's the part that's important. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, that reconciles with your thoughts about that word "unicorn features," right? And this like add things that people need. It's boring. Like just fix the bank feeds. It's not nobody. Nobody's zero is never going to have a press release that says we fix the bank feeds. Right? <laughs> no. It, that's it's right. It's not going to get a billboard, but that's what people want, right? That's what people need. They need the data to be correct and be there. There was also news about improvements to HubDoc, which is the uh, document processing tool that Zero acquired and now made free with Zero. If you use Zero, they are now doing bank statement line item extraction. Which, to me, when I heard that, I thought, isn't this like a step backwards from where we want to be, which is creating bank feeds that work everywhere and it's kind of crazy. Well, you know well, that. Do we should we even talk about that? We were at ZeroCon, and the vast majority of the people's energy was spent talking about bank feeds and how they're broken <laughs> and bank feeds don't work, and how Zero is going to partner with a bunch of banks to have direct integrations to the banks. And it's just to me, it's in, it's 2023 basically, and we're still having that conversations. But the the one thing I thought that was interesting or not interesting about the HubDoc thing for this for the historical PDFs, right? Because you're going to use that. There's two use cases. A, you can't connect in the bank feed, so you need the statements. Or B, you need to, um, it's historic, right? The bank feed maybe only goes back 90 days and then you need to import three years. It's a new client, right? So those are the two use cases. But I do think it's a little limited, which is interesting because all they do is they're scanning it. And right now they only scan a, a PDF like from the actual bank. Like if you scan it, the bank statement, they can't even handle that. But then they just dump it out as a CSV that you have to import into zero. <laughs> right. Which yeah. it's like, why aren't it putting in through the API? And so like my thing is if you do, like you're better, you're better off just going to get auto entry and just 
scanning your bake statements with that. And then you can, you know, fast coding them in and putting them in. It's just, there's, I don't know. It, it, it's like, it's, it's great that there's an announcement to do this. It's just, like you said, it's, is it a stopgap? Like, I don't know. It's not that exciting. <laughs> Our oftentimes global correspondent, Heather Smith, had a suggestion for how we can, in the United States and in Canada, get banks to fix those bank feeds and to work with zero. And that might mean going and talking to them. Here's what Heather had to say. Hey, Blake and David and everyone out there listening. I'm really excited to have been here at Xericon um, New Orleans. Beautiful, beautiful city. Um, really enjoyed the conversations around community. Um, community building has been something that I've always been quite interested in um, and fallen into kind of naturally. And there seems to be a lot of people talking about the importance of the community for them here, which is really lovely to see. And talking about how people are really supporting them in their journey, whatever that journey may be. Um, it's been really exciting to see all the different apps here. <laughs> and the ones that have to use checks, which hopefully one day will no longer be here. Um, I think that the, the, the thing that's been most interesting for me is the issue over bank feeds, which hasn't been an issue for us for about a decade now. And I know when that was initially an issue, we went and talked to our banks and said, get on board with this. And in some instances, I had conversations with my bank manager for maybe 30 minute conversation, talk to them, explain what they need to do and, 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 and keep pushing that way. So I would say to people who are listening, advocate to your own banks that you're working with to embrace bank fees because you know that's going to make your life much easier and you can get a lot further along on that journey which which other people are because our banking systems are simpler but New Orleans is fabulous come to New Orleans so I went back because I, I made a tweet and Ben Richmond when he was on stage talked about it that we're why are we still talking about bank feeds but I went back to my Evernote and I have a, a half written blog post from 2011 and it, this is for Mint for personal finances. And it was really like why bank feeds suck. Like why I couldn't get I couldn't get a full financial picture. This is after right after Intuit purchased Mint. I could connect to this account. You can't connect to this account type of thing. So we've been on this journey. So and what the observation is even at this conference, right? Zero is talking about how they're working with the banks to fix bank feeds or their and then Intuit's conference. We work with the banks and you look at, say, Gintax said this and Oracle said this. Instead of all these accounting companies all solving bank feeds on their own or attempting to do these separate deals, you know, oh, we have a deal with this bank now and we have a deal with this bank. And because some of the thing with the banks, it's this argument of whose data is it, right? And I think there's some agreements that have to go on between these accounting firms, or I'm sorry, the accounting GLs and the banks where they're like, okay, well, then you get some access to data from us, right? I think some of that, that trading's going on. But ultimately, why don't all the accounting platforms pull together some sort of alliance and go to the banks all at once unified and be like, if you don't do this, we are big enough now, we're going to make our own bank. The, you know, yeah. the, the accounting friendly small business bank credit union, and you can only get into this bank if you use one of these four products. And you know what I mean? Like why are yeah, like, yeah. everybody's doing Team this individually, up. but we need a, a mass effort across the board to do this. It makes so much sense. And if you're a bank manager, think about the hassle of working with all these individual apps to fit their API. If you could, we just need a Zapier for bank feeds. That's what we need, right? The apps need to get together and create this. I mean, it would require Intuit and Zero partnering, <laughs> which, you know, that's hard to imagine. 
But you never know. We, every, there, hey. there was a time. There was a time when you would say ADP and QuickBooks would never partner. Right. Right. You don't yeah. know where the future's yeah. at, right? Because it's it's, it's true. really for the benefit of everybody. And if both sides yeah. had give lip service of, of caring about small business, you would partner to truly care about small business, right? <laughs> This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Ucollect. Are you still paying 1% for ACH to receive money from your customers? With Ucollect, you can pay as little as 30 cents per transaction. Ucollect has a two-way sync to both Xero and QuickBooks Online and gives you the features that the accounting systems lack, like installment plans, secure automatic payment setup invitations, automatic receipts, and allows access to other credit card merchant providers beyond the ones that come with the accounting system giving you more control over the service and fees that you pay. Sure, Ucollect may be new to me and to you, the Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, but Blake used Ucollect to automatically collect payments from his clients years ago when he had his own firm. For more information and a free 30-day trial, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Ucollect. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash U-C-O-L-L-E-C-T. So one of the odd things about going to a conference is that you enter a, a different planet or a different world for a short amount of time because you're on the show floor. If you're doing it right, you're talking to people all day long, you're going to sessions, you don't have time to look at the news, and then you're going out and networking after hours, and then you go to bed and you do it all over again. And any social <laughs> and, media you do is usually just around that conference. You don't even pay right. attention to the rest of social media. Yep. So occasionally, big things will happen in the world. and I'll come back and I'm floored at how the world has changed over just a few days. But this time that didn't happen because as I'm on the show floor, hanging out, talking to people at ZeroCon, I keep getting notifications on my phone. There's a text thread going on between my parents and my brother, all about student loan forgiveness. (laughs) And it turns into this big debate because my dad's on one side and my brother's on the other, and they're arguing about whether or not student loan forgiveness is a good idea. And I'm like, how do I mute this? Mute, mute for today, mute for today. It keeps coming back. I, I, I'm just ignoring it. But then I went back on the plane home and I read through it. And so now I'm aware that while we were at ZeroCon on Wednesday, the Biden administration announced a plan to forgive $10,000 in federal student debt for borrowers making less than $125,000 a year or $250,000 for married couples filing together, heads of households. And he will also cancel up to $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients, as long as the student loans are held by the Department of Education. And this, of course, has ignited a political firestorm. People on both sides of the issue arguing with each other about whether this is right or wrong or a good idea or a bad idea. And David, I just got to ask you, hey, how do you feel about it? Well... Kind of to rewind, I mean, this is another accounting story and tax story because people are going to have to fill out forms. This is going to tie back to people's taxes. I still don't know, do they have to report uh, is this as income because it's debt that's been canceled? Like it's it, There's a lot of accounting questions that has have to be discovered. But me personally, right. how I feel on it is a lot of people take bad lo- loans from the schools. The schools push them to take bad loans. The schools charge whatever they want because they know somebody's going to go with this money. And in the grand scheme for the amounts that people owe, all this is really doing is offsetting all the interest that they were. So even though they didn't have to make payments during the pandemic, remember there's that relief, they were still charging the interest. So in a way, 
so if a small business owner somewhere got $20,000 of PPP money, this is kind of the same thing. Like this is just, well, I look at this as like PP, like pandemic relief still. It's really what I view it as. And it's like, you can't be like, this is okay if this restaurant gets this money or this concert venue got this money or, you know, small business got this money. Oh, well now you shouldn't get your money. I don't know. It's like everybody, everybody got on the, the handouts train. Well, everybody and you mentioned the, the, the word I was looking for, the acronym I was looking for, PPP, Paycheck Protection Program, because we covered that extensively during the pandemic. It's one of our top topics of discussion on this show. And that has been brought into this because the comparison now is being made between paycheck protection loan forgiveness and student loan forgiveness. And whether or not you think those are apples and oranges, uh, as my dad does, then uh, you know that's, that's the part of the debate now. And the White House made it part of the debate by using their Twitter account to put out a series of tweets about members of Congress who oppose the student loan forgiveness plan highlighting how much money they got from PPP and got forgiven. So a, a, a tweet on wait, August- so, so, so wait, just to rewind. So the White House Twitter account called out, the, the so whoever manages the social media called out other members of Congress, well, not other, well, members of Congress's- PPP uh, loan have forgiveness. Taken loans. Yeah, and, the, and they got forgiven because that's all public record. Okay. And, and Let's a read lot- these, please. A lot of members of Congress got PPP loans on both sides of the aisle because people of a certain income tend to almost all be self-employed to some extent or own corporations. I mean, we all know how that works, right? All, all the, these Congress the people, have all these entities, yeah. we've seen this. Like they, exactly. There's no secrets here. There's like yeah. two poor Congress people, right? Yeah. I think there's oh, like and, two. <laughs> and David, you know, you and I wouldn't call each other our, ourselves rich by any means, but we have entities, right? And, you know, it, it, anyone who had one qualified for a PPP loan. Right, including I'm, I'm sure like all of our listeners. I, I would be really surprised if we have any listeners who own accounting practices that didn't take advantage of the PPP loans as well, because we all qualified them for them. So, but it's a little embarrassing, right? If like the 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 juxtaposition can be a little embarrassing for members of Congress who are opposing student loan forgiveness when they themselves got PPP loan forgiveness. Again, we'll talk about whether or not this is even something fair to compare, but it's working. Okay, from a from a PR standpoint, the White House put out these tweets and they have gotten a lot of retweets and likes. So on August 25th, they said Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene had $183,504 in PPP loans forgiven. And that got 800,000 likes on Twitter, which is a lot for the uh, White House account, like way more than normal. Uh, Congressman Mike Kelly had $987,237 in PPP loans forgiven. That's crazy, like close to a million dollars. Now, these are for their businesses, don't get me wrong, but like the public doesn't necessarily understand that. And of course, they're, they're writing this while they're, they're retweeting the tweet by that congressperson criticizing student loan forgiveness. And I think that is a political winner for the Democrats, right? Well, I think they're if like, you step back and watch this as like, you know how you watch a sporting event, right? If you if you step back and look at politics as a sporting event, like wow, that's a pretty good move. Right. And this is public data, right? So this this was very easy for them to do with the PPP loan PPP thing. It's public, yeah. Um, and so you know, how do I feel about it though? Like uh, I, I personally do not think, like in an ideal world, that uh, you know, just giving giving people money is a great idea. Like that's not good policy. Government handouts, right? Turning. <laughs> 
turning politics into a let's reward our constituencies kind of thing is a bad idea. And so like in principle, I'm against this whole student loan forgiveness thing. And I think actually a lot of accountants are probably on board with that because we chose careers that are, you know, like sound financially. We made many of us like chose to go into accounting because we knew that we could pay off our student loans and we did. And it's unfair, right? To have somebody else who made less wise choices. Well, let's get let's rewind their loans forgiven. to you. Let's rewind to you. So yeah. you you're you become an accountant. This is a second college stint for you. Yes. Your well, first and I college stint. They, <laughs> my, did you have loans to pay? No. I, and you know, admittedly, I was very fortunate because my grandfather, when he died, he left an inheritance for his four grandchildren that paid for all of us to go to college without student loans. But you know, he worked really hard to yeah. do that. But if you um, had student loans, you had one of these quote unquote careers that you weren't going to be able to ever pay them off. Possibly. You'd be a it, half-employed musician. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I'd taken on student loans to go major in music at Northwestern University, which was where I went and is one of the most expensive universities in the world, like one of the years I was there, I think we were number one on that list of you know expensive places, like $40,000 a year. I know it's more now. The only reason I could do that is because I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, now, when I then realized the error of my ways <laughs> after graduating with a degree in music during the Great Recession, I decided to go back to school for accounting, and I deliberately actually did not go get another college degree. I looked at the cost and I realized I could do all of my courses at night school, get my CPA and I'd be fine. And I did all that for like $10,000. So I didn't take student loans then either. So I kind of corrected my mistake, I think. But yeah, I mean, it's like, actually, it kind of would have been nice if I'd just been able to do a traditional program and get all that forgiven. That would be great, right? But then, you know, so that's, that's the response. But then again, I see what is happening as simply a natural response to the pandemic relief, which when you look at it, and I'll put those links to the numbers in the show notes, you can email me if you want to see this stuff. There was, you know, $800 billion of PPP loans. And studies estimate that only 25% of that money, which was intended to go to employees, actually went to paychecks to employ paychecks, only 25%. So 200 billion of the 800 went to employ paychecks. Where did the rest go? Well, if it doesn't go to employees, it goes to owners. And that's the fact of how this program was designed and changed in the middle of the pandemic is it, it went to business owners, $600 billion. Oh, actually we have to, there's one other group, the um, fraudsters. So the thieves took we estimate around $100 billion. So $200 billion went to actual employees who it was intended to you know, supplement their paychecks or keep them employed. Uh, $100 billion went to thieves. And then the rest, $500, let us say, went to owners. And so then when you look at this, this student loan forgiveness program, which I, I saw estimates that it would cost something like $300 to $400 billion, somewhere in there, for the government, I realize what is happening here. It's just that one political interest group, a very a group that is very loyal to the Democrats, is getting their handout, just like small business owners got their handout during the pandemic. It's tit for tat. This is politics at its worst. And I think both suck. Like This is not the way we should be going as a country. And of course, nobody likes that because, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm saying both sides are wrong here. 
Yeah, I mean, like we are, we're eventually. I'm not saying fake money, whatever you want to call it. Like, and that's been shoved out in the. We don't really know where we stand. I guess the economy right now. Like, well, what really do you think caused all this inflation? Years, it's been very buoyed, uh, buoyed by lots of money, and here's yeah. more and more. Like, we just don't. It, it needs to just settle down. But we keep they keep pulling levers yeah. constantly, and this is another lever. And, I, and and if we actually want to bring down inflation, right, we got to have some fiscal discipline. But that doesn't seem to be happening. And it kind of really it really disappoints me that the Republican Party is no longer the party of fiscal discipline. Like that's gone. So if the Republicans aren't going to be the party of fiscal discipline, who's going to do it? Nobody. And so it'll just get worse, right? And that means inflation will be with us for a long time. So. I guess if I if I had to bet on it, then I would bet that inflation is going to stay around for a while and and make the moves that go along with that. That's the world we live in now. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay. The other day, Chris Maskey of Prefix Accounting tweeted the following, quote, not so hot take. If your business banking cannot maintain a stable QBO connection, you do not in fact, have a business account. That's a cheap knockoff of a real bank account, end quote. And I could not agree more. What's the point of a business banking account if it doesn't integrate with your accounting tech stack? Relay is a no-fee online business banking and money management platform built for you and your clients. Relay integrates in your tech stack with direct integrations to QuickBooks Online, Zero, and Gusto, and improves your workflows by allowing members of your team to have their own set of secure login credentials to clients' banking data. No more bugging your client for two-factor authentication codes. And did I mention the ultra-reliable bank feeds? And your clients get powerful online banking features like 20 individual checking accounts and 50 physical or virtual MasterCard debit cards, which can be assigned to their team members. To stop fighting with, as Chris tweeted, a cheap knockoff of a real bank, and instead get a business bank account that cares about you and your small business clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. Relay, business banking for your accounting tech stack. Where do you want to go from here, David? Um, I could just quickly uh, talk about, you You mentioned fraud. I can, so I'll start with that. Let's talk about fraud. So you mentioned fraud with the PPP loans and pandemic relief. Well, apparently I saw, I saw an article, this article was on CNBC. And the Secret Service has returned $286 million in fraudulent pandemic loans back to the Small Business Administration. So these were actually the EIDL loans, the Economic Injury Disaster Loans. So you that said program. 284 $286 million. $286 million. Okay. Yeah. So that's, and that's millions, not billions. Millions. But this is right. all tied to one bank, Green Dot Bank. Green dot bank. Green dot bank, because green dot bank is one of those new fintechs where you just sign up online, you have a bank account type of a thing, right? Or, or and they also do all those prepaid cards you have. I think the bank account in QuickBooks is powered by green dot bank. I think they have an API, Walmart. I think I don't maybe not specifically Walmart, but all these these prepaid cards you see, yeah, they're all built on the same tech stack, right? So, anyways, this is just one, one bank. And so Roy Dotson's a lead investigator of the Secret Service. So he said that they uh, they put out advisories to 30,000 financial institutions in early 2020 about fraud indicators and how to guide banks to partner with the federal agencies to recover the fraudulent funds. And they said that these investigations will likely last years due to their size and scope and reiterated that this is one bank. 
of 30,000 they're working with. They're never going to catch it all. There's just no way. Unless, unless Congress decides to extend the statute of limitations 100 years, they're never going to catch everybody. Well, didn't they just double it, though, for PPP loan? I thought you said yeah, last to week? Yeah, to 10 years. But 10 look, years we're ahead. coming or- up on how many years has it been now since that, that happened? It's been a few. Yeah. And they've only prosecuted like 200 people or so. And I don't, I honestly don't blame the government for like being slow in this case. It takes a long time to put a good solid case together and it takes a lot of resources and they just do not have the resources to prosecute all these crimes. It's not going to happen. And you brought up, I think last week or the week before our Cross River Bank, they're finding out a high percentage of their loans that they gave out were PPP questionable yeah. loans. So, so actually this is the thing they could go after. Uh, they could go after these fintechs for not following the know your customer rules and they could get them for the fraud that happened on their platforms. And maybe that's a way that the government could get reimbursed for the fraud, but they're not going to get the actual thieves. Just too time consuming. Just the most egregious examples, right? But like there was a lot of small fraud. And hey, we're not even talking about like all the unemployment fraud that happened. The, the, the PPP fraud forgiveness program. They could, they could come out and just forgive everybody who did any fraud, any pandemic fraud. And we get a nice reset and we'll start everything from scratch. Like, yeah. That, that, that'll get the criminal voting block in the, in, the, <laughs> in the camp of whatever party does that. Yeah. I'm sure that'll work. Oh, man. Uh, I got a little follow-up on the Inflation Reduction Act. So this kind of slipped through. It wasn't something that got widely covered because everybody was talking about the 87,000 armed IRS agents that are going to come invade your home with AK-47s and, you know, no, AR-15s. I always say AK-47 because, like, that's the the weapon that we always used in video games when I was a kid, but it's not AR-15s. Anyway, the IRS could be on the verge of changing the way Americans file their taxes. This was reported in The Hill, and they highlighted a provision in the Act, the IRA Act, which... Uh, includes $15 million for the IRS to deliver a report on a free government-run tax e-filing system that tax simplification advocates have long argued for. So this could be the beginning of that thing we've talked about, David, where the IRS could simply offer their own version of free file. It could happen now. There's $15 million to do a study about it, the feasibility of it. How do we get that? How do we get that contract to do the study? To do the study, fifteen million bucks. It, you yeah, gotta get a, you, 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 you donate a million to a college, and then they have some students do the study for you. You just got fourteen million left. I know, right? Like, this is better like, than pandemic relief. Like, we need to get, get some of those sweet government contracts, right? <laughs> yeah. I actually wonder too, like of the eighty billion dollars the IRS is getting, how much of that is is going to go to contractors to do a lot of this work? Because one of the problems is they're not going to be able to hire enough people quickly enough to to do a lot of these things that they want to do. I mean, maybe outsourcing it could help. I don't know if you can out, you can't really outsource enforcement, but could you outsource services? Why couldn't you outsource taxpayer services to accounting firms that want to like sign up to do stuff on behalf of the IRS? I mean, we're already basically, or we're so doing prisons, so much for- Don't people outsource a lot of government jobs yeah, out to the I, prisons? You could have all the prisoners taking IRS calls. <laughs> well, enrolled agents are already, everyone already thinks they're IRS agents apparently already. So why can't we just make enrolled agents, like give them the license to do a lot more stuff on behalf of taxpayers with the IRS, like give them access into IRS systems. They're trusted, licensed, trained people. I still think the way to do this is we, nobody filed taxes for 2033. 
let's the IRS catch up, get their things back on track, and you file a big two-year return in 2024. You know, that was- That is a great solution. We put that out as like a short clip on uh, Instagram, and it proved really popular. But I I think a lot of people watching it thought you meant that they didn't have to pay taxes for two years. No. You're you're (laughs) saying just don't file. You just like do a double return. Exactly. Exactly. We just just don't create paperwork for a year for the IRS. Just a thought. Uh, one thing that happened, in, and I don't know how deep we go on this, how much we touch on it, but it happened. I think we were en route. I think it was the day we were en route or maybe the day before en route to ZeroCon. There was a shooting in Atlanta. Yes. And I didn't, I just saw it. And this is where we are in society. I just never clicked on it on Twitter. Never clicked on it. Then I got to ZeroCon and I started hearing from people that, oh, did you see the shooting? Are you going to talk about it on the show? Because it involves accountants. It yes. involves accounting firms. And it's, um, do you want to cover some of the high level details and then, okay. Well, it's kind of a crazy story and there's still a lot we don't know. So I don't want to speculate too much about this. So I'll just, I'll just give you the facts as we know them. In case you haven't seen this or heard about it, but by this time it's, it was very mainstream news. Yeah. Although it's kind of crazy how, you know, I don't think this was technically a mass shooting because it wasn't four people or more. So it didn't make national news the way mass shootings do. But it, everyone in accounting heard about it because it's a former BDO audit manager in Atlanta who shot and killed her ex-boss, a disgruntled former IT audit manager at BDO USA in Atlanta. She was arrested by authorities after allegedly murdering her former supervisor and a condominium property manager with whom she also had a dispute. Her name is Raisa... Kengni and went on a shooting spree at her condo complex, shooting and killing building manager Michael Shinner, 60, and injuring another person. Then she went back to her former offices at BDO and killed the IT audit director, Wesley Freeman, 41 years old. She was later arrested at the Atlanta airport. The third victim is Mike Horn. Uh, he, He was hospitalized, but is alive. And the reason this is getting a lot of speculation and questions around it is that Kengney had complained in a post on LinkedIn about being retaliated against by BDO and Friedman in 2021. She said, in 2021, I was retaliated against by my employer at the time, BDO, BDO USA LLP. My home was broken into, my computers were hacked, and my phones were spoofed. So she's accusing them of like breaking into her house. And she claimed that she had reported violations to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the PCAOB, and the AICPA, and she had filed a lawsuit against Freeman. I think I saw that lawsuit was 500 pages. Yeah. And there's a, there's a LinkedIn post that she wrote that was reposted on Reddit, and it, it sounds like there's either some like conspiracy going on here where she's this target of retaliation and home invasion, you know, like, like having her stuff ransacked in her house and, and they're trying to silence her. Or is this a case of like somebody who has mental illness and, you know, like, is that what's going on here? Like, we don't know. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's, a, it's just, it touches on so much. And, and I think I started texting you. I was like, geez, this could be like an eight episode investigative report. There's just so much involved. And, and obviously mental health is involved here right? There's mental health. There might be partial racism here. There might be, you know, public service, right? The She has videos of when she was trying to follow up on her case and her police reports and the police, it almost felt like the police officer was blowing her off, 
right? Mm-hmm. So that causes frustration, right? Yeah. Um, it could be the stress of working in this environment. Obviously, it covers whistleblowing, and that, and it also covers. We talked about the whole like audit conflict, yep. right? Of, of the integrity with audits and firms auditing their clients, and it, that's in there. Apparently, she had a beef with one of the crypto exchanges. So there's just a lot here that we don't have enough time to dig into. And then I also saw that she did a talk two weeks before or 20 days ago at the international, it's like an international audits auditor thing that was in Atlanta. And she had a talk about fraud in accounting at accounting firms. And now I can't, other than the description of that, the session, I can't find it anywhere. Like it's not streamed. I can't find a recording of it. But essentially she said her talk was titled Fraud in Public Accounting. And she talks about the Enron scandal. And then her presentation will cover concrete examples of unethical behavior exhibited by public accounting firms in the US and abroad. But I can't, nobody can find this deck or this presentation. Now it's got to exist. I'm sure it'll trickle out, but this could take months of, investigative reporting. Obviously she's arrested, she's in prison, but there's there's almost more unanswered questions there are answered about this at this point. Yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Canopy. Did you know that Canopy has automation built in? Sure, you can still use an app like Zapier with Canopy, but for most firms, the built-in automation in Canopy's workflow module is plenty sophisticated enough. Your team can create trigger automations based on status, task, and subtask, as well as dates, be it upcoming, reached, or past. Then Canopy can complete mundane tasks for your team, like automatically sending client requests or automatically assigning the next task or subtask to a member of your team as work for a client is finished. Or how about a really nice email to the client after all the work has been completed? Canopy also integrates with QuickBooks Online, Xero, FreshBooks, CRMs, Form Builders, Spreadsheets, Calendars, Email, and of course Zapier. They have a mobile app, centralized file management, fillable PDFs, a client portal, task management, and the list goes on and on. To get a demo of Canopy and to receive a $40 Amazon gift card, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-A-N-O-P-Y. I got a few more items before we get to our listener voicemail because we did get a voicemail and I want to play that. Uh, Real quick, the IRS is wiping away $1.2 billion in late fees from the pandemic. That's a big deal. AICPA has been advocating for this. Now that the IRS got its $80 billion, they're wiping away those late fees. Uh, I wonder if they were waiting for that maybe, holding it as uh, as a carrot. 1.6 1.6 million taxpayers will receive more than $1.2 billion worth of penalty relief. The agency will automatically issue the refunds or credits for most of the fees by the end of September. And Commissioner Charles Reddick said that this will also uh, help speed up their catch-up work because they no longer have to follow up on those payments. So this is an opportunity for you with your clients. If you know you have clients that I've been getting raked over the coals and they're coming to you like, why am I paying these late fees? Why are they charging me these, this interest? They're the ones that have done, dealt with the return. You get to call your clients on Monday and tell them, hey, great news. Money's going to be coming to you soon. Right? Use this as a marketing opportunity. Yeah. Spread the good news too, right? Not yes, just the yes. bad news. <laughs> Spread the good news. <laughs> uh, we were speaking of big firms and- I saw this story about KPMG relocating its New York headquarters. This goes to the continued 
uh, remote work environment. And we don't think, at least I don't think, I don't know about you, I don't think, David, that we're going to go back 100%. I don't think it's going to happen in accounting. KPMG must not think so either because they're downsizing. So they have this big headquarters in midtown Manhattan. They're going to leave it by the end of 2025 and reduce their office space by over 40%. So they have 800,000 square feet now at 345 Park Avenue. Oh, actually, they have three different locations. And they're going to go in a single location, 450,000 square feet across 12 floors in the new 58-story two Manhattan West building, which I believe is over near Hudson Yards, a really nice area. And they're going to finish construction in 2023 and move in there in late 2025. All right. Time for us to get to listener mail. And reviews. You've got mail. This is from Tyler Otto. Hey, Blake and David. Huge fan of the podcast. And first off, just let me say, I really appreciate you guys trying to tackle some controversial topics as of late. Even if people don't like your opinion, I like that you're trying to tie it back into our industry and show the impact especially how we can uh, influence the world. So good on you, even if not everyone loved it. That being said, uh, I am a huge fan of this discussion of how a majority of our industry is about to age out. Uh, David, I saw uh, you post on LinkedIn about the accountant who wanted their client to bring in a decade-old PC once a year to bring in their QuickBooks information rather than letting them upgrade to online or the Apple version or anything else. It just shows how stuck in our ways Uh, majority of this profession is. And my favorite example I've seen of this is in the last month, I got an offer from Drake Tax Software to be able to get the 2023 version or pay for it right now. What made me laugh is it wasn't necessarily an offer to go online and buy it, but instead it invited me to either mail back in a check or write down my credit card information on the four lines provided, send that back in so that they can send me back a code to go online and download it instead of just going online and paying for itself. And at first I was laughing, thinking, Drake, you guys got to get with the times. You got to understand this. And then I realized Drake's not behind the times. They know their customer base. They know that the majority of accountants out there don't understand this newfangled go online and just buy the software and download it. They are used to having to mail back in credit card information, which I'm sure is not PCI compliant, and be able to download the software that way. And So good on Drake. Way to know your customer base, but it just makes me hit my head against the desk thinking about how behind the times the majority of our industry is. So if someone's just getting into the game and doesn't feel like there's room for them to grow, just remember this is your competition. This is what this is what all the new firms are up against, and there is plenty of room. Blake and David, keep it up, guys. Love the show, and hopefully run into you at a conference at some point. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Tyler, for that message. So wait, I gotta, I gotta make sure I, I heard correctly. They're, they're asking people to write down their credit card number on a like a, a piece of paper and mail it back. That's what That's, I heard as well. Yeah, but, but, wow. but he nailed it, right? They're doing that because they won't be able to get their customers to go sign up for something, right? <laughs> right. right. And, and it, it's funny thinking about this, like even at ZeroCon, right? Like to show you where we are and the how how the adoption curve is in the accounting world. Uh-huh. Right, adoption of technology. You know about this, like early adopters, laggards, all the people yeah, in the yeah. middle, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I forget what those hump, names are. Right? Yeah, yeah it's kind of a hump. Yeah, we we were uh, practicing ignition at the party on Tuesday night, and I bring our t-shirts, and I'm hustling. I'm still working. 
Like you don't become the number one podcast in the world if you're not hustling and working, right? Oh, I was so impressed, David. And, and, and I'm giving out our shirts and I'll give people shirts and I, I want people to sign up and subscribe to the podcast or leave a review. And I, we're at the point now where for me to get somebody to get the podcast, they're like, I don't know how. I have to help them pull out their iPhone, install Apple Podcasts first, then get the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Now let's paint a picture of accountants and bookkeepers. We're at zero con. These in theory are a little bit more technically technology savvy, younger crowd, and that, that's where we're at. I'm still like I'm helping people install a podcast app to their phone. Yeah, yeah, right? it is. It does level. It does reset my expectations. And this is at ZeroCon, where these people yeah. are like they're on top of tech and they're the they're the future. And we're still even the future is still a little further behind than we expect. Well, like Tyler said. It's actually a good thing because if you can set up your firm in a different way and and create a great customer experience where you're not requiring people to mail you stuff and do things in an old-fashioned way, fax you things, all that, you have unlimited opportunity. And actually, uh, we have an interview coming out with an accountant who is doing just that, uh, Miguel, and he was featured on the main stage at ZeroCon. And it's going to be a fantastic it's a fantastic interview. He, he talks about that's his focus, is creating this easy experience for his clients. And I think that's, that's the way you win in this world. And I think that's the missing point of this post I found and I posted. In this post now, we're pu- I'm pushing almost 30,000 LinkedIn views and another 10,000 on Twitter and hundreds of comments at this point. The one about QuickBooks Desktop? Desktop. And so to summarize those who, of you who haven't seen it, definitely go find it, read the post. But basically- Follow David is- on LinkedIn. Yeah. So basically there's some uh, forum post place called boggleheads.org. I don't even know what it is, but I found this, it just came through in my newsfeed. And essentially this person is still using an old desktop computer from 2011 to run QuickBooks, 2011 QuickBooks. And it just gets slower and slower. In the meantime, decade has passed. This person's now on Apple products, right? But this person's computer physically carries it to the accountant every year. The accountant told him not to switch to QuickBooks Online, not to switch to Apple. That's kind of it. But the real piece here that everybody is missing is he literally has a sentence. Is it time to just do the online version and find a new accountant? The clients themselves are realizing maybe their accountant's dated. And Mm that goes to the the voicemail just now. Like, this is your competition, folks. Now, people are arguing QuickBooks and desktop all over this thread, but they're missing the point, which is the clients are ready to move on. Even the clients are fine. They're quite, they're saying this is insane, right? And that that's the part that's yeah. missed. Here's a quick message from Jessica regarding surge pricing. And I've converted her message into uh, audio with artificial intelligence. So this is an AI-generated voice on behalf of Jessica. Great show as always. I love that you talked about surge pricing. I have been suggesting that to colleagues for years. I don't do taxes, but as a bookkeeper, my busy season coincides with tax season as I get a lot of catch up and clean up projects. The lowest rescue project rate goes to those that come to me in December. The fee gradually increases each month through April. I have been doing it for three years and it's been great. So that's great to hear. One of our listeners, Jessica, does surge pricing. And if you don't, I highly suggest that you put that in place this year because it does two things. 
it ensures that you are getting paid for the value that you are delivering. And when you are jumping on a return late in the season, you are creating more value for that person who has fewer and fewer options as the year progresses. Uh, and you're also ensuring that you have enough capacity to help the clients that you've already committed to, right? Somebody who gets you their stuff in January should not be held up because you're busy taking on more clients in March and you don't have the time to get their return done. You got to manage capacity. You do it with surge pricing. And, and actually, there was an amazing article uh, in Wall Street Journal about Disney and Disney's new pricing magic. The headline is Disney's new pricing magic, more profit from fewer park visitors. And the story basically talks about how uh, Disney had to reduce park capacity during the pandemic. And they implemented all sorts of new ways to charge people more money for greater experiences. And they're actually making more money now than they did before. So they have 17% fewer people in the parks, but they're making 17% more money. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it's anyone who's been there recently probably knows what I'm talking about. The biggest contributor to that is this new add-on service called Genie Plus, which is an app that you pay extra for to get access to a priority queue so that you can book rides in advance. and You don't have to wait in the standby line. And it increases the number of rides that you can go on throughout the day. Now, some people are willing to wait in the standby line. They don't want to go on a ton of rides. They don't want to pay extra. That's great. For the people who are willing to pay an extra $15 per person, you get to download that Genie Plus app. You go on more rides. Like This is a very uh, a smart strategy. And firms could do something similar, which is to say, hey, if you don't want to be extended, here's the price. If you're willing to go on extension and we'll do your return later in the year, then we have a different price. That could be one way that you do things. Or you have different types of add-ons that Disney has. For instance, their most popular rides, like... Rise of the Resistance, that new Star Wars ride, you actually cannot even go on that ride unless you pay extra. Yeah. And, and so, they figure, yeah, go ahead. So, so basically they're, they're managing capacity because you can only put so many people on a ride at once, right? And you and can only have so, so many, many days, people in the park. So much time a day. And so yeah. by raising the prices, they're reducing the, the people. And because of that, they can actually, because of that reduced capacity, they can actually offer this premium experience. It, it's almost yeah. like both sides get solved at the same time by raising that price. And they've managed to improve the average customer experience. They've made it better. So even though it costs more, people are happier. And I'm one of those people who was happier. Even though it costs more, I was happy to pay it because I had a great experience. They do, of course, have some of their annual pass holders who they are you know, raising the rates on dramatically to get fewer of them. Those people are not happy, like the, the Disney super fans uh, who would just go to the park and walk around, right? They, they have more blackout dates, all this stuff, but it it's important because when you have limited capacity, you got to reduce those those people that are just there taking up space in your park for the people who are there for the once in a lifetime experience and are willing to pay thousands of dollars for that. So uh, it's a great story. You know, Ron Baker always talks about Disney as a great example of pricing and creating a plus experience. They literally called their you know app Genie Plus, and this is something that we should be looking at doing. Is, is how do we get fewer people in our firms paying more money and happier customers yes, too? Yes, you should add a plus to the end of your accounting firm. And that, that, signif that, that signals to everybody you're now going to be a subscription service. You're going to 
kind of offer an all you can eat menu, but you're going to charge a little bit more every month. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, it's an easy rebrand. You said one more voicemail or should I jump into the reviews? I wasn't sure if you had one more. So I have a message um, from, I have a message about my CPA pipeline article. So why don't you read some of those reviews? And okay. then we'll tag this on at the end because it's a little bit of a lengthy one. But I think those who are interested in the future of our profession and the CPA pipeline will really appreciate this message uh, because it's from um, a former partner at Arthur Anderson, who is a CPA for 44 years. Thomas. Oh, perfect. Uh, that would be great. Great so. to hear. Um, I'll read a couple of reviews, I guess. Why not? Okay. Right? Let's do it. Okay. So all these reviews, believe it or not, were all captured at the ignition party. So, so these are fans. They were coming in to get shirts. They all had a couple of drinks in New Orleans. So I'm just going to read the reviews as is. Here we go. Uh, this is a five-star review. This is from Ken at SBA. This is a must-listen to podcast for accountants. I have been following Blake for several years, and his knowledge of the industry has helped build my practice. David is okay. Kidding. They are a great team. <laughs> so thank you very much, Ken, for that review. Thanks, Ken. Okay. And this another review, this is from Canada. It's from uh, Caroline, Caroline and Sean. It's a five-star review. David, great meeting you on our honeymoon. So They went they to ZeroCon for their honeymoon? They went to ZeroCon on their honeymoon and, and, and were highlighted part of their honeymoon to, to see us. Of course, no connotations intended. Back to your show. We love your show. Great content. Highly recommend. Caroline and Sean. And then he said, I'm, oh, that's actually the screen name he typed in. I mistook David for Blake. He put that as a screen name on Apple Podcast, which is kind of funny. And then the last review is uh, titled, Longtime Listener, First Time Writer. David and Blake, you guys had an awesome podcast with tons of relevant knowledge for professionals like myself in the cloud accounting space. You guys are the sole reason that I met my CPE requirements in 2022. And for that, I am so grateful. I truly enjoy tuning in every week. And this is uh, Kristen BL via Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much, everybody, for the reviews. Uh, thank one other you. thing I want to mention, like, which blew my mind, some uh, Zero Advisor, right, at ZeroCon came up and she said, hey, I was in Santa Barbara and I'm walking the dog or jogging. I don't even know what her activity was. I forgot that part of the story. And she said, coming the other direction is somebody wearing a Cloud Accounting podcast shirt. Like, and so she was so excited to get her own now. But like, that's where we're at now. People are just out living their lives in cloud accounting podcast shirts. I thought that was exciting. Fantastic. And to take us out here, uh, here's a letter, very thoughtful email from Thomas Bettina about the CPA pipeline issue. And it's in response to that uh, article I wrote on the Minnesota CPA Society magazine about you know this problem we have of not being able to recruit enough accountants to become CPAs, uh, and one that I'm very passionate about. And he has an interesting take. Dear Blake, I read your CPA Pipeline article with great interest. I retired as a CPA in 2020 after 44 years. I was a partner at Arthur Anderson, a managing director at Pradaviti and then taught auditing at the Carlson School of Management for 25 semesters. I agree that firms have a retention problem, but one has to ask why do staff leave? What are the root causes? Turnover is a fact of life in public accounting. When I began my career, we were told the number of new staff who would pursue the 12-plus year track to partnership would be less than 5%. Long hours, weekends, and grunt work all contributed to high turnover ratios. However, feedback from many former students suggest auditing has vastly changed from when I practiced. The most significant change is the use of low-wage offshore personnel to perform internal control as well as substantive testing. 
new professional staff no longer build audit skills by testing internal controls and auditing bank reconciliations, prepaid assets, and fixed assets. Client-assigned staff merely select transactions, obtain documents from client personnel and then forward those documents to an offshore testing center. Local staff on site never actually perform the testing. Former students with whom I have spoken complain that their responsibility is reduced to that of a paper coordinator. This situation is evident when reading the PCAOB deficiency reports on the eight or nine largest firms. Common themes from year to year are that staff do not know how to test internal controls and often place reliance on controls that have been deemed ineffective. Audit failure rates among the big four firms ranged from 20 to 50 percent in 2017. It is understandable to see how such errors could be made by a new staff person, but one has to wonder how such errors escape the supervisory reviews performed by the audit senior, manager, and partner. Will we see more audit failures in the future? I certainly hope not. Another factor impacting retention is chargeable hour targets. Staff are responsible to manage their schedules and achieve chargeable hours targets. I believe accountability is a great concept. However, the firms need to match accountability with control. New staff are often not in control of their schedule. Former Big Four staff have told me that they dreaded vacation time because they would have to make up the chargeable hours through overtime. One former student who was assigned to his firm's largest in-town client quit after 3.5 years when he worked the equivalent of 15 months in a 12-month period. When I was a young staff person, I saw partnership as a goal. I had great respect for the partners of my firm and aspired for their work-life balance. That has changed. Current partners with whom I have spoken confide they often work 600 to 900 hours of overtime annually. A managing partner of a Big Four office told me that the partners in that office average 900 hours of overtime annually. That equates to nearly 60-hour work weeks throughout the year. Young staff see the partners working weekends with a blurred line between work and personal time. Staff then ask if the work-life balance improves as one ascends the ladder of success. They conclude that it doesn't and depart for greener pastures. During my 25 semesters teaching, I noticed a decline in the number of accounting majors and in the number of students interested in public accounting. Some students sour on public accounting after summer internships. Others may hear anecdotal experiences through social media. Regardless, today students are much more aware of the public accounting environment than ever before and choose a less stressful option. I was often asked by students how I survived my 31 years in professional services. I told them each year I asked myself three questions. 1. Do I like what I'm doing? 2. Am I learning anything? 3. Is the firm providing me additional responsibility? If the answer to those questions was yes, then I stayed another year. If those questions serve as a barometer for young professionals today, then turnover should not be a surprise. I would also contend that the partners are too far removed to appreciate how the staff feel. I can speak to this firsthand. As long as partner profitability increases through more chargeable hours and labor arbitrage, partners will not become sensitive to the issues facing the staff. Until the golden goose stops laying those golden eggs, change will be slow in coming to the accounting firms. Thank you, Thomas, for that. I learned something new. And I have actually heard this now from more than one former partner, and it's this offshoring impact on young accountants. Because part of the deal in public accounting is you work long hours, but you learn a lot. And if the work is just being coordinated by the staff and sent overseas and they don't get actually to do the work, that's a problem because they're not learning anymore. And I could see why I would leave that sort of so environment. So basically you're just a glorified project manager. Yeah, exactly. So the only good thing about that is you could jump over to the advisor side of the business <laughs> and get into the consulting side of the business because that's what consultants do, right? You're just project managing. Right, right. But like 
if you majored in accounting, you probably did it because you like the technical you're not, work. You're, you're not you're getting not, experience. Yeah. yeah, you're not getting experience doing the work. And that was my favorite part. Uh, you know, look, I didn't do big corporate financials. I did small business accounting, but I loved doing the books, like actually getting to make it happen and produce those reports. Yeah. If all I was doing was like sending that overseas and just coming back and like, you know, printing out the reports and meeting with the client, I don't think I would have been happy early on. He mentions the chargeable hours targets, the billable hours. We know all those problems. We agree with that. And then the thing that also surprised me about this is the fact that current partners now are working more than they used to. So partners are making more money than ever, but they have no work-life balance, it sounds like, a lot of them anyway. And why would you as a young person want to aspire to be a partner when you see them working 60-hour weeks? Like, what's the point of having all that money? Yeah, sure, you might be making half a million or more, but if you have no work-life balance, when are you going to spend it? Yeah, because in theory, the old observation would be, I know I'm working really hard right now. I'm getting experience. But look at those partners. They're out golfing. They're all enjoying their lives. They have a boat. They're taking their family out on their boat. I want to be that someday. Now it's like, oh, that schmuck is working just as many hours now that he did 20 years ago. Yeah. Why do I want to be that schmuck? No, nobody wants to do that. Send all your emails to David at davidleary.com. <laughs> the you other Blake observation at Blake you made, right, is this yeah. observations about the students, right? And the yeah. social media is like, oh, and now people just see how bad accounting is on social media, which right. is funny because you just covered this last week about how yeah. somebody on TikTok, TikTok destroyed Deloitte. Yeah. Right? And, the, and- the big four are getting totally destroyed on TikTok by former big four employees who are in their 20s, who are burned out and mad. And they're angry. And all it takes is somebody to go on TikTok and and post about it. And a million people see it. And you know, this that the beauty of the Accounting Twins podcast. Like we get to observe this journey of someone yeah. who graduated college and is now going down the public route. Well, you know, obviously our sister is going down the private route. But we get to observe this like journey into the accounting industry from the view of the first Gen Zers going into the workforce. They're 22 years old, right? We're going to see it. David, that's all the time we have today. Where can people meet you online? I'm on all the socials at David Leary. Follow us. The Cloud Accounting Podcast is on Instagram and Twitter. It is at CloudACCTPod. Check out our videos from ZeroCon. We're doing more video stuff these days. It's a lot of fun. You can get clips of our show delivered into your feed. It's a nice way to stay up on on the episodes and check out those that you uh, uh, are interested in. I'm going to go enjoy the rest of my Sunday. I hope you have a great week, David, and I'll see you here next week. Bye, everyone. Time for the classifieds. Do you dream of starting a bookkeeping business, but you don't know where to start? Join the Bookkeeping Biz Workshops, a live four-day workshop series hosted by Serena Shoup, CPA. You'll learn where to start, what it takes, what tech to use, how to build a business, not a job, plus how to get comfortable on discovery calls. The workshops begin September 20th, so register today at bkworkshops.online. That's bkworkshops.online. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, And it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right. A true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. 
Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.